Oh, good morning. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to join us today in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Um, I'm excited for us to be able to announce today that in our second service, we have another baptism that's taking place. And that's always a good thing, isn't it, when we get to see that? And we were just kind of talking about uh, how recently we've just been able to see that with consistency. And what a, a great blessing that is. And I know that we've got... Uh, at least three more that are coming. So praise the Lord for that. And we're grateful uh, to be able to do that. And I just want to remind you that if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not? Why not today? Uh, maybe you're waiting to get baptized for some reason and you've been thinking about it and you've already known the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've never followed through with baptism. I'd love to talk with you about that after our service today and just help you take your next step in following Jesus. We're in Luke chapter three today. And uh, we continue where we left off last week. You remember that last week, Luke introduced us to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Uh, John is, is a unique personality because you remember we talked about him kind of straddling and living in both Testaments. He's the, the Old Testament fulfillment and we see it in the New Testament. We looked at Isaiah 40 last week and saw how John the Baptist was coming to preach repentance and, and good news for us. And I think there's a couple of uh, things that we'll see this morning from our study that will help us as well to understand what repentance really means and why it's important for all of us to understand that uh, this morning. Remember that last week we defined repentance as really a change of direction or a change in our way of thinking. And I think this week we'll get to see some of those practical examples of what that might be. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to John. I'm sorry, I'm gonna mess that up all morning. I know that I'm gonna do that and I'm sorry. We're talking about John the Baptist, but we're in Luke's gospel, I'm sorry. I'm, I've been working on it all week and it's not helped at all. So verse seven is where we're going to be in Luke's gospel and this is John the Baptist speaking. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Therefore, produce a fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The ax is already at uh, the, 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 the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. What then shall we do? The crowds were asking him. And he replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they were asking him, teacher, what should we do? And he told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And he said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. I actually never grow tired of reading verse seven. It's one of my favorite verses when you think about it because it's, it's almost a, a shock to the system. Can you imagine 
uh, a large crowd coming out and the opening words of the pastor or the prophet would be, you brood of vipers. In seminary, we were talking about how to grow churches and, and gather crowds. That wasn't the way that they encouraged us to do that. You don't start off by insulting the crowd and saying, you know, you know good people, you're terrible, you're awful, you're snakes. I mean, I mean, it's an amazing thing that he says this. And, and, and when I think that, 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 that John uses this, he's using this because there's a method maybe behind what he's doing. He, he's really trying to confront and look through the cultural problems of the day. And we actually see this in the way that he addresses the two different groups of people. Now, some of you are intrepid learners and you're like, I noticed three groups and we're gonna group two of them actually together. And so we're gonna say that there's two and I want you to see that this morning. And I want you to look at the two different viewpoints with me this morning from the scripture as John talks to us today through these two different groups about what it means to live a life that is repentant with the Lord Jesus Christ. The first group that John addressed, addressed is, is really the church crowd. And, and so I, I would say that to us this morning is that if you're here this morning and, and you've been in church for a good portion of your life, he's talking to you. He might have called you the brood of vipers. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Uh, if you look back at verses 7 through 11, we see it. He says to the crowds that are coming to be baptized, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath you need to produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The ax is already at the uh, root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. What then should we do? The crowds asked him again. And he replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. I think many times people believe that the harshest criticisms in the scripture that Jesus or any of the prophets or anybody makes are for the lost. And it's, it's actually not true. As you read it, I mean, Jesus is hardest on the religious group of people that are always floating around and he seems to show tender compassion towards people that are lost. I mean, he's, he's forbearing with them. He takes time out of his day to, to explain things to them. He, he, he listens to them. And yet it's always this religious group of people that Jesus is going after. And, and I, I think it's important that we see that because as we, as we look at Jesus, we begin to see something in his life that is reflected here in John's life. John's looking through a cultural problem of the day and he's cutting right to the chase. That's what John wants to do here. The first group of people, this church crowd, it really is a directed warning to them of the impending coming judgment of the Lord. Now they'd been waiting for the Lord. They were looking for the Messiah. But what we know is that not many of them were looking for him to come and judge them. Uh, they, they, they held themselves to a different standard than they did the rest of the world. You see, in fact, they actually believed that as God's favored nation, they had favored people status, that God was going to come and judge all the other people, but not them. And John is saying to them, I don't think you should miss this. And I don't want us to miss it either because it's the same kind of people when we talk about a church crowd that would come on a Sunday morning and, and they would say the right things, believe the right things, but not practice the right things, right? So there's a, a disconnect that's happening here. 
And John's pointing that out for this group of people. And I want us to see it too, because it might be that we're the same kind of people that just rail against same-sex marriage, but we consume pornography all the time. Uh-oh. Is that getting personal? Are we the kind of people that, that, that would go after the culture but not allow the scripture to change our hearts? Are, are we the, the kind of people that would say, abortion is so wrong, abortion is so wrong, but we just hate people. We kill people because we hate them. Oh, you've heard the, the line, well, pastor, now you've gone from preaching and now you're meddling. It hurts, doesn't it? Because we all have this, this measure of hypocrisy in our lives. And, and I think when we talk about being generous publicly, uh, but we won't tithe or, or we, we want people to recognize these things in our lives, but we won't, we won't do what, what needs to take place in the secret moments of our lives. The Jews were guilty of believing that God was going to give them this special status that, that meant that everybody else would be judged, but they were exempt from judgment. Basically, they kind of were like, I mean, we're good to go because we're Jews. Well, this is why John the Baptist is asking the question, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Uh, it's, it's a question of astonishment, honestly, because... This church crowd, this religious crowd, didn't believe that the coming wrath was ever going to touch them. And so he, he kind of stands back and says, okay, how are you guys in on this? What, what, what's happening? Who's, who's pushing you this way? You see, the, the Jews had lived through an exile. They were living in occupied status, right? The Romans have taken over their country. And yet their pride said, I mean, there's nothing wrong with us. It's all everybody else. The church crowd needs to hear this today. Everyone needs to understand that we have to get ready for the coming of the Lord with repentance. And it doesn't matter if you've been in church your whole life. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe. It, it does, none of that matters. And I think it's really important that we see that. Uh, when, when we see what John says, he says, you need to produce a life of repentance that produces a fruit that's in keeping with that. In other words, remember we talked about the fruit that you bear recently? We had a sermon series on that. And we talked about producing fruit could mean several things. In Galatians uh, 5, we, we talked about the Holy Spirit's work in our life produces the fruit of the Spirit. In Philippians and Hebrews, we talked about the fruit we bear being the righteousness of Christ. Jesus told us that we needed to bear fruit in our lives, that our actions would, would, would help us to, to lead people to, to Christ and we'd be able to disciple them. But the meaning here is a, a little bit different, isn't it? Because when a person produces a fruit consistent with repentance, what that means is that the fruit of their life begins to change. The actions begin to change. The, 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 the things that, that come out of their mouth, the things that come out of their hands as they, as they work and their actions, they all begin to change. It's describing a relationship with Christ that has an effect in our lives that is not just lip service, it's not just head knowledge, it's a total change. Paul describes this new life in Christ this way in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, 
because we're members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what's good for building someone up in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you along with malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as God also forgave you in Christ. Did you see it? Here's the old actions. Here's the new actions. Here's the old language. Here's the new language. Here's the old mentality. Here's the new mentality. Let your life be one that is producing fruit in keeping with repentance. So John the Baptist speaking to us as the church crowd today would say, don't just get caught believing that because you're a church member or because you believe the right things about doctrine that you're saved. That won't cut it. He says that's not gonna make the difference. That won't make you secure in your relationship to the God, God the Father. It doesn't work that way. In fact, what he's telling the Jews is, you need to stop trusting in the claim of your heritage. What they were saying is, we're Abraham's children. I mean, because we were born in the right lineage, we're good to go. And you notice what he said. God can make a family for himself out of stones. What? Well, Abraham was kind of seen as the, the first stone, right? I mean, he's the first person that God comes and, and speaks to and begins to build this nation out of. And he's saying, don't trust in this. That's not your claim. All right, so, so what claim do we have then? Is it because we're Baptist? I hope not. Is it because you've been in church your whole life? I, it doesn't seem to be. Is it because you know the right things? Is it because you believe the right things? No, it can't divorce what I know from what I practice. It can't divorce what I believe from what I, those two things have to be married, my belief and my practice. So what claim do we have then? Well, if we have no claim because every person is under God's wrath, even God's favored people, and they were, and they are. If they're under God's wrath, well, what about us? The good news for us is that it would be hopeless were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came and did something amazing. Theologians use a big word to say, they call it propitiation, that the wrath of God was satisfied at the cross. That's all that means. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross for us, God took the wrath that should have been ours and placed it on Christ. And all those of us who are in Christ, who have trusted in him for salvation, repented of our sins, the wrath of God is satisfied. We're no longer under the wrath. And so God was working out something for our salvation so long ago at the cross, and our relationship can only be based on that. Our favored status is not because of who we are, it's because of what he did. It's based on what Christ did at the cross. So that means there's an important question for every one of us to answer that we, we have to get to this morning is, do you know him? Has there ever been a time in your life where you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to save you? See, that's the difference. When a life is changed because of repentance and faith in Christ, 
it totally changes the status of that person's life and their relationship to God the Father. And it's the only way for us to avoid that great and terrible day of judgment that is coming. More about that in a minute. We're going to see that as we keep going. But I don't want you to miss what John is saying because so many people through the years have told me they know Christ. But the truth of it is, their life never produced fruit in keeping with repentance. If that describes you this morning, I hope that you're bothered by that. Bothered enough to examine, are you really of the faith? I mean, are you really saved? Not, I hope I am, or, or yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I am because I, I did all this stuff. I, I had a spiritual moment in my life one time at a camp. I, I, I've been to church enough. I know these things. I, I've, I've had some experiences with the Lord. No, are you saved? Has there been a moment in your life where you repented of your sins and been saved? I think it's a little bit like what John might be saying is, can you imagine going to a financial seminar on how to get out of debt? And the lady that's leading the class, man, she's engaging. She's, she can just do it. You know what I mean? Like she stands up and, and, and she's got these great examples of everything. And, and then it comes to the Q&A session at the end. And you find out that this lady's living paycheck to paycheck because she's in debt up to her eyeballs. It takes a little bit off the meaning of the class, doesn't it? Because she, she's divorced in her belief. She believes the right things, but she can't practice them. It doesn't work. John was saying to these Jews that were listening to him, be ready for the coming day of judgment. We have to be ready for the same thing. And I don't want you to miss the opportunity this morning just because you're part of the church crowd. This is a call for us to be in repentance and not allow our pride that might make us trust in other things to get in the way of us really being in a relationship with Christ. I want you to see verse 11. It says there's some practical ways for us to just fulfill what Jesus told us to do. And in verse 11, he said to love your neighbor as yourself, basically, right? I mean, that's what you, that's what you begin to see. He, he says, if you have, a, if you have a two shirts, and, and the word there's actually tunic, and, 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 and he says, if you have a tunic, share it with somebody, if you have two of them. And if you see somebody that, that has some, some food or hunger needs, help them. What he's talking about when he talks about tunic, I don't like that. I mean, I love this translation of the Bible. We use it all the time, but I, I think it misses something here. It, it's, it's the basic necessities. It's, it's basically undergarments is what he's saying. If you see somebody that doesn't have the undergarments that they need and they don't have food that they need, to walk past them in that moment, he's saying it, it's wrong. He's saying uh, you have to understand this is Jesus Basically, later saying, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the summation of the law, isn't it? That when we look at that, and, and Jesus will give us some great pictures of that when he talks about the Good Samaritan, if you've ever heard that story, right? Who really was the neighbor? Well, the one who took care of the one who was wounded that day, bandaged his wounds, didn't walk on the other side of the road. I think one of the things that we've been trying to get you to see already this year and we've been introducing it slowly to you is that we have to tune our hearts to the social needs that are in our city, our state, our country, and around the world. 
And, and there's always a, a little bit of a danger there, perhaps, that, that we sometimes feel is that the social gospel, because it is social, that's why they call it social work or whatever, it is social, because it, it has something to do with people. We feel like sometimes that the social gospel has a danger to it, and it does. If we just do good things, but we don't present the gospel with it, we, we haven't really gotten there. We, we need to do both. It's not either or. It's looking at the needs and, 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 and trying to, to find our way to those things so that we can minister in the name of Jesus and, and we can tell people about the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to be both. When we meet needs, we share the gospel. And John says, if you want to repent today, stop overlooking the basic things that are right in front of you. Does that convict you like it does me this week? Because there's some basic things that I've seen this week that I was glad the light turned green and I had to go through it and not have to stop there and interact with somebody. Have there been some needs you've heard about from your friends or your family or, or somebody who just needs a little bit of help and, and you've just thought, oh, I hope they don't ask me to get involved in that. Ooh, that, that sounds like that would be messy. That's what ministry is, it's messy. That's what Jesus did. He came down into the mess and he meets us where we're at and he tells us to do the same thing. So John says to the church crowd, don't get just caught believing the right things, practice them. But then there's the outside crowd, verses 12 through 14. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. Why do we call them an outside crowd? He calls the brood of vipers the inside crowd right there. But the outside crowd is, is these groups, the, the tax collectors and the, and the soldiers, because they're definitely not part of the religious set. The religious people hated these guys. And, and maybe with good reason. Because a tax collector was someone who was a Jew who was working for the occupying government. And they had great latitude in what they collected. They were told, you collect this, but nobody cared if they took more. So they were often very wealthy people who were traitors to their own countrymen, living off the oppression of their own countrymen. They were profiting off their own people. The soldiers, it could have meant one of two different groups. There were, there were two different types. There were Roman soldiers, and you, obviously you hate them. I mean, they've come and and they're taking over your country. That's bad. But there's a, another group, just like the tax collectors, that work with the tax collectors, Jews who work with them, to help them collect the taxes. So you doubly hate them too. You're a traitor and you're taking money out of my pocket. It's easy to see why nobody liked them, right? I mean, when was the last time you invited the IRS to your house to hang out for dinner? It doesn't happen that often. There's this, this disdain that we have, even though it's scriptural, by the way, to pay taxes. Don't forget that. You know, we're going to be doing that here very soon. And it's a scriptural admonition for us. But it's fascinating that Luke records these two groups of people who were outsiders asking John the Baptist very specific questions about repentance. You might understand the religious set going, well, we thought we were good to go, so what do we really need to do here? But the outsiders coming to him, asking these questions, and I think there's several things we can take away this morning. First, I, I want you to notice this. 
that no one is outside the possibility of repentance. John doesn't say to them, uh, mm, man, I am sorry, but you do not qualify. I don't know if you know this, but we don't like you. We don't think that you fit with us. We'd like nothing more than to see you just fall off the face of the earth. We don't want you around. No, that's not what he says. He goes to great lengths, and so do the other gospel writers, to make sure that we understand that there's room at the cross for everyone. The gospel writers want everyone to know they have a place in God's kingdom. And John the Baptist didn't care if you looked the part or not. It only mattered that you lived a life that had repentance and faith as its foundation. And this is a great reminder for all of us when we look at this passage who are already Christians, because guess what? There might come a day when somebody walks through the door and our mistake might be to believe that they don't really belong here. Man, what are you doing here? You're some kind of government official. We don't like you. What are you doing here? You really hurt me. You injured me. You spoke harshly to me. You've made my life difficult in the past. I don't like you. What, what are you doing here? You, you're a traitor to, to our country. What are you doing here? And, and the point of it is, for us, Luke is reminding us as a church that the grace of God is available to everyone, no matter their background. And it's not ours to give out. God already gave it. It's ours to preach it and live it. Secondly, the tax collectors were told, the soldiers were told, go do your job. Go do your job, but do it the right way. You, you can almost hear John the Baptist saying, you're gonna go honor the Lord at your work. It doesn't matter that you're a tax collector and nobody likes you. Do your job the right way and maybe they'll hate you less. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of that. It doesn't matter that you're a soldier. You don't have to give up being a soldier here today. You need to go do it the right way. Repentance for the tax collectors and the soldiers involved doing what was right in their vocation and doing it in a way that they honored the Lord with what was right in front of them. Now, oftentimes, we like to make repentance way more complicated than it is. It's not that complicated. It's just hard to do. Think about it. I'm just gonna say a few things. Go to work and tell the truth. Is that hard? You understand it. It's easy to go, I understand the words. It might be hard to do tomorrow. You understand the words, don't look at things that cause you to lust. Yes, got that. Well, stop doing it. Okay. Give generously to the poor. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Okay, don't gossip anymore. Oh, that's hard. I mean, it's not complicated. It's just hard because gossip is fun. Isn't that, right? Isn't that why you read People magazine? Isn't that why you look at the tabloids? I get a, a magazine at our house every week. It's called The Week and it just kind of summarizes the news from different viewpoints and one of my favorite sections is, it must be true because I read it in the tabloids. I don't know. Why do we like gossip so much? Stop cheating on your school assignments, your work assignments. I mean, all of those things are not particularly complicated. Anyone can understand it. We just have to follow through with them. And the good news is today, we don't have to do it alone because once we come to faith in Christ, we get the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do these things. But I think there's maybe one more thing for us to possibly consider. Now, many years ago, William Barclay challenged the church with this passage to live their Christian lives out for the Lord 
in the places that God had called them to work. I don't know about you, but maybe you struggle like so many people do to make the connection between your vocation and your calling as a Christian. And, and, and clearly here, John the Baptist is, is seeing something that's a little bit different. And, and we see that fleshed out a little bit later in the book of Colossians chapter three, where it says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. So when you go to work tomorrow, you can look at everybody that's there and go, there's room at the cross for them. You can decide that when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to repent with those things that are right in front of you and not make it complicated. And you can choose to serve the Lord tomorrow by being the best employee of wherever you're at tomorrow. Well, that's not hard to do, is it? <laughs> it's really hard to do. We know it, but to purpose that in our hearts is a difficult thing. So we complete our work without taking advantage of people. Notice, notice what he said to the soldiers. I love this. Stop stealing, don't lie, and be satisfied with what you earn. Hmm. That's not hard, is it? Yeah, it's hard. But doing that each day would honor the Lord in our vocation. Well, the bad news always leads to the good news. That's the scriptural principles here. If you read this over and over again throughout the, throughout the scripture, you'll see in the Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's always dark. It's always bad. And then it gets better. Why? Because if you don't understand the bad news, then you can't possibly understand how good the good news is. Look at verse 15. Now the people were waiting expectantly. All of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. But John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one that's more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with a fire that never goes out. Then along with any, many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Next week, we're gonna spend a little bit more time talking about baptism and the baptism of Jesus and why that might've been important and why the gospel writers record that for us. And, and I think it's important, but I do wanna to finish today with verses 17 and 18 because John the Baptist again tells them, you know, who warned you about this impending doom as he started with? Now he finishes this thought by saying, you have to understand God is about to use, Jesus is about to use the winnowing shovel. A winnowing shovel, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, when, when we think of shovels, I don't, we don't often think about it like this. Imagine a pitchfork, because that's a little bit like what a winnowing fork or a winnowing shovel looks like. It's more forked than it is a shovel. But what would happen is, when you brought the grain in, you would take it to the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was a place, you needed a couple of things. It, it, it needed to be kind of flat, and it needed to have a lot of wind that came through the area. Because what you would do is you would throw all that on the floor, you would take it with that fork, that, that, that winnowing shovel, the winnowing fork, and you toss it up in the air, and what would happen is all the chaff, all the junk that didn't need to be there would blow out. But the wheat was heavy and it would fall back down. And, and this is what John the Baptist is saying, and it's later referred to, you know, throughout the Gospels like this is, the wheat and the chaff over and over again. This idea that the chaff are those 
who are hanging out and they're imposters. They're not part of God's kingdom. And one day there's going to be a separation. Jesus talked about it elsewhere, like the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. That God's building a family for himself. And on the day of judgment, there's going to be a separation. And so John says, because you know that, let me tell you the good news. Can I tell you the good news? The good news is the gospel. And it's really, really simple. God loves you. God loves you so much, he sent his only son to die in your place. God loves you so much that when he saw how messed up things had gotten because of your sin and my sin, he didn't leave us alone in that. In his kindness, he sent Christ to die on the cross for us. And the Bible says that if we repent, change our minds, change our direction, change our lifestyle there, you know, to honor the Lord instead of honoring ourselves all the time, place our faith in Christ that we can be saved. Saved from what? The judgment. See, the, the Bible says there's a real place called hell. I don't like to talk about it often because I don't ever want you to think that I'm trying to give you some kind of scare tactic into this, but a reality is a reality. And, and that's something that we have to do. We, we have to understand that that, that, that when we die, it's too late. The, the decision has been made. Are you in Christ or are you not? When he comes back, will you be found to have produced the fruit that is in keeping with repentance? Or are you just part of the church crowd? Yeah, I got this and my pride keeps me from really getting down to the nitty gritty Maybe today you'd say, man, I'm definitely not part of the church crowd. I'm on the outside, pastor. That's all right. That's exactly why Jesus came, to take all of us who are on the outside and bring us into the family. So what's keeping you from doing that today? I wanna ask you guys to bow your heads and pray with me this morning. I just remind us that our relationship with the Lord starts with repentance. And you may say today, like, well, I, I do think that I'm saved, but I'm far from the Lord. In the old days, we would have called that being backslidden. I'm climbing up the mountain, but I've slid back down a little bit. Well, you know, the way to get back right with the Lord is the same way as you started with him. It's repentance. Repentance looks at your life and it looks at it honestly and says, ooh, that's not supposed to be there, Lord. I recognize that. I've fallen short here, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me. Would you do that today? Father, I just believe today that it's possible that in the middle of our crowd today, in the church crowd, Lord, there's some of us who need to rededicate our lives to you. Because the truth is we haven't been keeping a lifestyle that produces fruit that matches repentance. God, some of us, it's just the basic things right in front of us. We've walked past those in need. We've decided it's more important for us to have more stuff. We've decided, Lord, that we didn't have time to care about people. God, would you change our hearts? 
Holy Spirit convict us. And Father, I believe it's, it's possible today that somebody's on the outside looking in in here this morning. They don't know why they've come, but Lord, they needed to hear that you love them. Would you save them today? God, I pray that they would cry out to you in repentance and ask you to forgive them and save them today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. Thank you for being patient with us. Lord, destroy our pride. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.